Well, we are in part two of this four-part series as we are looking at this idea of unlocking the inner conqueror in us. Because here's the reality of it. We do not need to live as prisoners, but here's the honest truth. Too many of us do. Too many of us live as prisoners. Too many of us allow the struggles in our life to define us, to overwhelm us, to guide our life. But through the power of Jesus Christ, we do not need to be prisoners, that we are conquerors, and that through his power, we can overcome all these different things in our lives that we may be struggling with. And as we ease into, into this, let me just tell you something I believe is going to happen. This week, I've been praying diligently that God would speak to a few of you. That he would speak to a few of you in a way that would significantly impact, change, and transform your life. And the reason I say a few is because I'm not naive enough to believe that everyone here is going to be rocked by this message today. But I do honestly believe that there are some of you that you're going to hear from God in a way that is going to awaken something inside of you. It's going to move you out of your comfort zone to a place of faith and impact that maybe you've never experienced before. So, a few of you, be ready, because it could be you. So let me introduce the message this way. Because we're talking about conquering different things. We're talking about this idea of not being a prisoner of the things that we may struggle with. Now this is a series that I could, we could easily talk on for a year because there's a lot of things that we allow to overtake our lives. But let me introduce today with a story. And a story that I'm not proud to tell to be honest, but it is the truth. And it was the day that rocked and wrecked all Canadians when we all found out the discovery of these unmarked mass graves in these residential schools. And we know it all started here in this province in Kamloops with that huge discovery and that huge news. And to be honest, when I heard about it, it wrecked me. It hurt. I tried to put myself in their shoes. What if that was my kid that was yanked out of my house and then never came home, was buried in an unmarked grave on the school grounds, not knowing why they died, how they died, or when they died? My heart sank. And it became heavy. I stopped when I heard that and I prayed. And I mean, I prayed a real faithful prayer, not one of these, okay, God, you know what's going on. Amen, thanks. But a, a faithful prayer. I may have and probably may even posted something online acknowledging 
this tragedy. But let me tell you, by the end of that day, my heart wasn't as heavy. The next day came, the next day, the next day. And I forgot about it. And I forgot about it fast. I went back to my comfortable life. And some time went by before I actually realized that I actually forgotten about this huge national news, this tragic discovery. And I was shocked of how quickly I forgot about it. I thought, what in the world is wrong with me? Why in the world can I not care and hurt about something for more than just a few minutes? Or a few hours? Or a few days? Before I just drift back into my own comfortable, self-centered world. What I want us to look at today and talk about today is conquering this epidemic of apathy. Some have said that we are this apathetic generation. We don't care a whole lot. We don't want to get involved very much. It's not worth the effort. There's this lack of concern and this lack of compassion. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome this, what people say is an epidemic of apathy? And it's all of us. It's this whole generation. It's this world that we live in. I want to share a portion of a parable that Jesus told in response to a question from a religious expert. This expert did what a lot of us do, and he kind of wanted to know, well, what do I need to just get by? What do I need to just to enter into eternal life, inherit eternal life? Like, what do I need to do that? And Jesus answered the question with a question, and apparently it's okay for Jesus to do that, but it's not okay for me to do that in my own house. And it drives Lisa's nuts. I seem to apparently... Allegedly, I answer most of her questions with a question. Jesus says, what does the law say? And this expert says, okay, well, I, I got this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus respond, responded back, and he says, do likewise. And the guy said, oh, okay, okay, I got another question for you, right? Okay, so... I have to love. So who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Who do, what do I need to do just to get by to inherit eternal life? And in response to that, Jesus tells this parable, and we pick it up, Luke 10, verse 31. And it says, A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So this is the parable of the Good Samaritan, and there's this Samaritan who has been beaten and left on the side of the road. And Jesus tells this story. What a powerful image of apathy, right? A priest walking by, sees someone in serious need, and goes to the other side. And then another well-respected person, a Levite, walks by, does the exact same thing. 
What a powerful image of what apathy really looks like. I see the guy, but I don't want to get involved. There's just there's too much risk. Or there's too much going on right now in my life. Or, or you know what, they need me back at the temple, so i got to just go. I can't stop. I've got a, this busy life. It's, it's just not worth the effort. Why is it do you think that so many of us find it difficult to care the way that Jesus actually calls us to care? Why is it that as a pastor can be really wrecked for a few minutes or a few hours by a tragedy in our Canadian history and go back to my comfortable life? I want to answer this with three different theories of why we might do that. Why we don't care like Jesus calls us to care. The first theory is the volume of information is just overwhelming right now, right? The volume of information that we are exposed to or that we encounter on a daily basis, it's just, it's overwhelming. There's so many different things that we're exposed to. It's difficult, right, to care when there's just so many things to care about. We're exposed to tragedies all the time, right? So why don't we always care? One reason, one theory is because maybe the volume of info we're exposed to is just overwhelming. We don't even know where to start. Another theory could be that we just feel helpless to make a change. The truth is many of you do care. I'm not saying that you don't. Many of you, most of us, do care about what you see. And you like to do something, but we start to think, you know what, who am I? Who am I to do this? I'm only one person. How can I make a difference? Why don't we care? The way that Jesus calls us to care? Well, maybe it could be the volume of information that we're exposed to is just quite overwhelming. Maybe we feel like we just can't really make a difference. And perhaps the most relevant and painful thought is this. We are blessed and cursed. With comfort. We are blessed and cursed with comfort. Think about that for a moment. We are so incredibly blessed with comfort and also cursed with it. We're blessed with comfort that most of us can just push an app on our phone and anything can be delivered to your, to your doorstep. You can binge watch your favorite show on Netflix. We're blessed and cursed with comfort because what's so difficult is this. The most comfortable our lives, the more comfortable our lives become, the more life tends to be about us. The more self-centered we are. Comfort is kind of like a drug, isn't it? When we get a little bit of it, we want a little bit more of it, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. And before long, we're actually trying to leverage God as the God who gets us what we want. We are blessed. And we are also cursed with comfort. So how do we overcome this incredibly repulsive attitude of apathy? What I want to do is give you a big thought to go home with today. And then a couple, uh, maybe other directing thoughts that I can, 
that I believe can and hopefully will spark something in a few of you in a way that will make a lasting difference. So how do we overcome apathy? We need to do it by doing this. We need to consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort. You need to consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort. I know lots of words there, but every word is important. I said consistently. If there is a lack of consistency, there will also be a lack of interest in your life. Consistently expose yourself to something that pushes you, something that causes you to grow, something that causes you to get out of your comfort zone. Let me talk about righteous discomfort. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, put yourself around some things that move you on behalf of God. Some things that you know break the heart of God, and you're around it enough to where it actually starts to break your heart as well. See, when you consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort, suddenly apathy, it cannot exist in your heart if you do that. See, apathy starts to change to a righteous, fierce passion to make a difference in this world. So how do we overcome this ugly spirit of apathy? We need to consistently expose ourselves to something that would give us a righteous discomfort. In fact, that's really what the Apostle Paul did. I want to show you this moving verse. But first, let me give you the context of it. Paul wasn't always named Paul, was he? He was previously known as Saul. And Saul hated Christians. I mean, hated Christians. If there was anyone that people could have an example, they want to hate Christians, Saul was your guy. He was the poster boy of that. Saul had this incredibly radical encounter with the presence of the risen Christ and immediately, because of that, he was changed. He went from a Christian hater to one of the boldest, Jesus-sharing, gospel-moving people who has ever lived. Paul consistently exposed himself to a group of people that created within him a righteous discomfort. And I want you to watch what he says because it's one of the boldest, most other sinners' statements in all of the New Testament. And it's found in Romans chapter 9. And listen to what he says in verses 1 to 3, he says, With Christ as my witness. He's going, he's going to say it a few times. Like, I am not exaggerating. This is the, the, the truth of the situation. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. So he's prepping them. What I'm about to say to you is no lie. It's no exaggeration. As God as my witness, this is Truth. He says, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, 
my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. What is that? That is the complete opposite of someone who doesn't care. That is, I am fully invested in the deepest measure. I believe this is the type of passion that God wants every single one of us to have when you care like that. See, when you're able to do that, it shows that life is now no longer about you. But life is about pleasing God by using what he gave you to make a difference in this world. See, you consistently expose yourself to something that creates this righteous discomfort that moves you out of your comfort zone into making a difference, making an impact. So what do we do when we start to have that? What do we do when we start to move in the direction of making a difference? Let me encourage you how to channel that passion, that focus, with two thoughts. And first thought is this, focus on something. Just focus on something. Let's just be honest. The number of different causes in this world that could grab your attention are far too many to count. And that's why we have to understand there are so many different things that will catch your attention, but only a few will capture your heart. That's where we need to start. That's what we need to understand, that there's going to be so many different things that will catch the attention of your heart, but there's only a few that will capture your heart. And whatever it is that captures your heart, focus on those things. Focus on that. It's no accident that you are righteously angry about a few things on behalf of God because God gave you those values to make a difference in this world. We need to focus on something and allow God to use us to make a difference in those areas. So as we consistently expose ourselves to something that we create a righteous discomfort. And as we start to experience that righteous discomfort and we start to hurt on behalf of God, we need to focus on those things that are capturing our heart because it's in those areas where we can make a difference. There's a reason why it captures your heart. There's a reason why you feel righteous anger or discomfort in those things. Don't go out with a big, huge net and just catch everything. Say, I'm going to get involved in everything. Don't. Focus on something that captures your heart. And another thought when you get this passion is this. Embrace what hurts. We need to embrace what hurts. This is what Paul said about his people. He says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. He's saying, my heart is breaking for those people. And notice that he pressed into that which was hurting. And here's the problem. This is the lie that so many of us believe. It's easier not to care. Right? It's easier to not get involved. Or it's just too risky for me. See, it's easier not to care. And I would submit to you that I would rather hurt 
for a purpose than exist without one. I would rather hurt for a purpose rather than live without one. I would rather ache with a calling, with a passion, something I care about than enjoy the comforts I have. Embrace what hurts. Embrace it. See, if our version of Christianity is all about our comfort, then here's here's the truth behind that. We are following a false God, if that's the case. If our version of Christianity is all about comfort, then what we're doing is we're actually following a false God. If I never give sacrificially anywhere, if I never serve when others are serving me, if I never pray, I mean really pray, over something that is so moving in my heart, if I never just sit around and just cry over somebody or cry over something, I'm missing one of the greatest blessings in life. Because here's the thing. Blessings are more of the stuff we want. But every now and then, maybe you just need to be blessed with a burden. Moses was blessed with a burden. You know, in his heart, he felt, this is not right that my people are treated this way. Until some point he's moved and he goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. See, rather hurt with purpose than exists without one. David was blessed with a burden. As a little shepherd boy, Right? He walks up to Goliath and hears all of these insults about Goliath. And he says, who are you to come against the armies of the living God? He was blessed with a burden. And the list goes on. Nehemiah was blessed with a burden. You know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the city and he's hearing what's going on there because of the, the walls being built up and he was blessed with a burden. He goes back and he says, we need to fight for this. And The walls came down. He was blessed with a burden. Jesus was blessed with a burden, right? I would rather hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. But Sally, there are some who will hear this and just go, meh. Because that's our generation when when it comes to a lot of things. So how do you feel about this tragic news? Eh. And some of us will hear this and go, eh, let's go for dinner or let's go for lunch. But I have a lot of confidence that God is going to speak to a few of you and to stir something in you. And I want to close out with this prayer. This is, not, this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for the church. Now, I didn't write this prayer. I wish I did, but I didn't. It's a Franciscan blessing. And this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for First Baptist. May, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them 
and to turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen? Amen. Amen.